When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. Hope you're wearing maroon today. We're going to need it. Got a big ball game tonight. Got a good weekend. A lot of things going on in the Southeastern Conference. We'll break it all down a little bit later in the show. We'll talk about what the Bulldogs should expect from the Texas A&M Aggies. We'll look around the league, and we'll kind of say, hey, listen, here's where we are. And when we get into Monday, we'll have a much better idea of what we need to do. Had a chance to speak with Chris Lamonis on Thursday. Chris will tell you, hey, this is the SEC. Any team in this league is capable of beating others. A&M beat Arkansas. We're going to talk about A&M a lot in this show. While we feel like, you know what, we got a good chance to get two, possibly three, we can't take anything for granted. I do feel like the leadership on this team will have us ready to play this weekend. we got too much to lose. You know, early on, you know, you had the big crowds for the first time, that sort of stuff. You had, you know, the big marquee matchup against Arkansas. Maybe those younger guys weren't ready. But you know what? They've, they've played 18 SEC games now. They've been on the road. they faced some hostile environments. they faced some really good teams. So it's a much different scenario now. By now, we kind of understand, okay, this is what we should expect. And it's good to be back home where we're going to have some pretty big crowds. I don't know if it'll be anything like what we saw Super Bulldog weekend. But we'll have some uh, some sizable crowds this weekend. And those crowds will grow in the weeks to come. Mississippi State expected to be a regional host and in good position now to be a top eight national seed. We broke a lot of that down in the last show about kind of where we are and what we needed to do. And that continues to change as we go. We didn't get much help on Thursday night, but we'll break those things down. And that's one of the things I love about the SEC Network is uh, we start getting some SEC baseball on Thursdays. And sometimes we even get a little midweek baseball on Tuesdays. Nobody in the league played on Wednesday, of course. And then uh, a couple games on Thursday. Would have been nice to have a couple upsets there. Didn't happen. But we'll break that down. Also, the NFL draft is taking place. The first round now in the books. 12 SEC players were selected. As you guys are well aware, Mississippi State not expected to have anybody taken uh, the first day. Could have some people taken day two. I'm thinking, number one, it's not going to be a big draft for Mississippi State. And I suspect most of our players that do get drafted will go on day three. So quarterbacks went one, two, and three. No real surprise there, I guess. The uh, first SEC player taken was Kyle Pitts out of Florida and and the fourth pick to the Atlanta Falcons. Right behind him is Jamar Chase from LSU to the Cincinnati Bengals. He will reunite there with Joe Burrow. Of course, Jamar Chase opted out for this season. Did not hurt his draft stock. In fact, he was the first wide receiver taken, as many projected. Right behind him at the number six pick to the Miami Dolphins, Jalen Waddell from Alabama. I'm a Jalen Waddle fan. I think that he's a guy that's going to have a really good NFL career. You know what Waddle's overcome. I mean, it's just a guy that's an explosive 
you know, kick and punt returner and then uh, certainly a very capable wide receiver. Now that he's uh, rounded back into good health, expect him to have a good career there in Miami. Reunites with Tua Tagovailoa. It's crazy. All three of those guys, you know, you'd be run that thing down. You know, it's like look at some of these wide receivers. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, of course, from Clemson, reunites with uh, Caleb ATN a little bit later in the draft. J.C. Horn, the son of Joe Horn of uh, New Orleans Saints fame, number eight to the Carolina Panthers, number nine, Patrick Sertain, Jr., number nine to the Broncos, right behind him, Devontae Smith, number 10 to the Philadelphia Eagles. So Alabama certainly had a good, uh, a good run early on there, right? Get a little bit deeper in the draft here. Uh, so Alabama, again, number 15, Mac Jones. And how crazy is that? A lot of people thought that Bill Belichick would have to trade up in the draft to get a quarterback because they needed a young quarterback looking for a replacement for Tom Brady. And, of course, they've got Cam Newton as a stopgap guy. But Mac Jones is the future. And so the Patriots get the guy they really wanted without having to trade up to get him. And uh, it's, it's about time Bill Belichick caught a break, right? Alex Leatherwood to the Raiders at 17 from Alabama. A lot of people kind of, you know, had him as a second-round grade type guy. So it's a little bit of a head-scratcher. But, you know, hey, you like who you like. The Washington Football Club takes uh, uh, Jamon Davis from Kentucky, linebacker. Very capable, very productive player. He'll be with Armantes Sweat up there. Kadarius Toney from Florida, number 20 to the New York Giants there. What's interesting, I saw some people that um, tried to compare he and Elijah Moore. And listen, all due respect to Elijah Moore, he's not the same guy as Kadarius Toney. And I think anybody that had Elijah Moore on the draft board ahead of Kadarius Toney is probably just some of these mock draft guys. Kadarius Toney is an absolute dude. And again, all due respect to Elijah Moore, he's just not in that – he's not the same guy. He's just not. Toney has better size. Tony just as explosive, probably a guy that'll have a longer career because he's. I think he'll stay healthier. Number twenty-four, the probably the greatest value pick in the draft. Najee Harris to the Pittsburgh Steelers, the most prestigious professional football team in all of sport. That's right, I said it. Najee Harris goes to a running back room that is in need of a franchise back. Saw a cool little piece that I tweeted out about Najee Harris. You know, he, he was homeless, you know, for much of his childhood. And so rather than have the big elaborate party and things like that and throw a bunch of money around, he elected to have his draft party at the homeless shelter that he grew up in for the most part. Says a lot about him as a player, a lot about him as a person. Go there and be an inspiration for those young people to say, you know what, you can overcome your circumstances. Very proud of uh, that effort there. So we get a little bit deeper here. We're almost done. You know, it's like you, you start looking here at the late, late thing. Eric Stokes from Georgia, 29 to the Green Bay Packers. And uh, I believe that's the 12th pick in the draft for the SEC. I may have missed one, but I believe that's correct. So you didn't have Mississippi State. You didn't have Ole Miss. I don't think he had Auburn, didn't have Arkansas. But uh, there are a lot of picks left to be made, obviously. And, uh, again, we tune in because we love football. We tune in to know what's going on in sport. But, um, 
you know, nobody expected Mississippi State to have any first-round selections. Now, this time last year, a lot of people projected that Colin Hill could be a guy that could play his way into the first round. Well, that didn't happen. You know, Colin, of course, uh, you know, had some issues, and then Colin opts out for the season, and and uh, and he drops. And so, how far does he drop? I, I'll be honest with you. You know, it, it only takes one team to fall in love with you. I know some people think that he can be a difference maker. Uh, I'm a Colin Hill fan, but the way that the uh, the basketball pardon me, the way that the uh, football game has changed, and you've become more of a vertical passing league, there's not the same premium on running backs there once was. So I could see him being a third or fourth round type guy. I don't think he goes in the second round. I think the highest is the third, probably probably the, the floor is the fifth. I, I know there are some people out there that are hoping he doesn't get drafted, and I, I don't support any of that. I want all of our young men to have an opportunity to pursue their dreams. And, and listen, we've got some other guys out there that are going to be undrafted free agents. I mean, I, I could see a draft where we only have a couple guys drafted. Maybe Marquis Spencer gets drafted. Maybe Errol Thompson. Errol Thompson certainly has the tape and the production. I think somebody may spend a pick on him late. You know, maybe sixth or seventh round. I know what, a per- what kind of person he is. And I know that he will work really hard for whatever franchise picks him up. So, not to say that we won't have some newcomers make a roster this year. But I don't think it's going to be a very, you know, bulldog-heavy draft. And I don't think anybody expected that just kind of part of the deal so it all gets underway again tomorrow and I think those are the things that people kind of expect that you know you get to this first round and then and then you get into uh you know second and third and then that's when things kind of pick up you know this first round thing has become such a media deal you know I remember I mean we used to do the draft in one day I think it used to go all the way to 16 rounds that shows you how old I am but we'd get it all done in one day, and those picks came a lot quicker. But you know, now that we got to do the crowd, we got to do the fan thing, and everybody's got to sit in the chair, and it's all become such a production. They take it over three days, and I know some people say, you know what, Steve, I kind of like it better this way. That's cool. But at the end of the day, we're just picking teams. That's what we're doing. So if that's your thing, should be a busy Friday and Saturday for you. I'll be watching college baseball. Watch some tonight, and then kind of flip back and forth with the draft. But outside of the Pittsburgh Steelers picking and the Mississippi State guys getting picked, I don't really care about the rest of the draft. But I do think it's a good thing that the SEC continues to kind of dominate, and I think it's one of those things, too, where it's good for recruiting because you can continue to say, you know what, you're going to come here and play against the best. It's going to get you ready for a potential pro football future. Speaking of getting ready, I know many of you are ready to go eat, and you darn well should be. While you're considering your lunch options today, if you live in the Golden Triangle, give our folks at Bulldog Burger Company an opportunity to serve you. Great food, great portions, great prices, great service, great atmosphere. It's all great, great, great. You get that great chocolate shake to go. That's great, too. Two great locations to serve you right here in the greatest city in the world, Starkville, Mississippi. Bulldog Burger Company, neatly placed right there on University Drive on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, another great location in another great city. Another great location coming to you there in Richland. And I, I, listen, I see your pictures. I mean, it's like there's so much excitement and buzz in the air about that new location down there. It seems like every single day I see something on Facebook. Somebody has ridden by and taken a picture of the sign. And I tell you, that is an outstanding-looking location. It's in the old mugshots. 
Go by and check it out. I know you folks in central Mississippi, many of you have said, you know what, Steve, I come on game day and it's packed. I can't hardly get into Bulldog Burger Company. Well, yeah, maybe a little more relaxed once they get the kinks worked out there in Ridgewood. You know, I expect a big rush early on, and you want to be part of that. Uh, Ian, our guy that uh, has been here in Starville forever and a day, is making the move down to Ridgewood to get that thing going. Man, what a great guy Ian is. So they're accepting applications, doing some hiring down there. So if you've got people in the area that are looking for work, it's a great company to go work for. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Let's talk about the Texas A&M Aggies. Now, the first thing that I'll point out to you guys is uh, their pitching rotation is a little bit different. They got Dustin Signs on Friday. He has been up and down. He is a left-hander. So he'll kind of make some guys kind of turn around like Rowdy, turn around about right-handed, and probably see Brad Cumbus start in, in left, I would suspect. On Saturday, they're going to throw senior right-hander Bryce Miller, and then Sunday, freshman right-hander Nathan Detmer. Uh, I really like our chances in that Sunday game. I think, you know, that's the thing. You begin to look at this thing. You win on Friday, and then you got Bednar going Saturday, and then they got a freshman out there on Sunday that I don't think is at the same level as Jackson Fristo. And I think by that time, perhaps we've kind of gotten in a bullpen a little bit. But let's look at some of these numbers. You know, A&M is one of those teams that uh, it really didn't make a lot of sense for them to be average. I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you begin to look at their facilities and their footprint. I've had some people tell me it's a little more difficult to recruit to A&M than we, perhaps we realize. And maybe that's the case. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. But they're 24 and 19. How are they five games over 500? You know, with the resources they have and the recruiting footprint they have, and, and I can't imagine – that there's not a ton of guys that grew up in the state of Texas that said, you know what, I've always wanted to go play for Texas A&M. It's a baseball-crazy state, too. I mean, it really is. A lot more people out there, too. That's why it doesn't make any sense they'd have an SEC record of 5-13. and 13. They are 18-10 and 10 at home and then 4-8 and eight on the road. Let's kind of break down uh, what it's looked like for them. They lost the opening series to Xavier in College Station. Uh, two games to one. They win the Sunday game 15 to nothing. I guess they got a little bit angry. They turn right back around and lose a midweek game to Abilene Christian. Then had to beat Tarleton State 8-7 in 10 innings. Really rough start. They go play in the Round Rock Classic. And one day I hope we play out there because I want to go out there. I've heard a lot of good things about this tournament. They beat Baylor. They beat Oklahoma. They lose to Auburn 6-1. and one, And I think we all kind of have a good feeling of, of what Auburn is now. Uh, then, I don't know who this team was. They played some other non-conference game. Uh, they went 4 nothing. They beat Incarnate Word 6-4, beat New Mexico State 4-1. They take that series uh, three games and then they sweep that one. And then that's when they began to kind of got on their winning streak is right there at the beginning of March. They beat A&M Corpus Christi 7-0. They beat Prairie View A&M 22-2. They get into the weekend with Samford and take that three-game series. They win at Houston, and so they go into SEC play really on a hot streak. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, I know the quality competition's not very good, but you're winning some baseball games. You're figuring some things out. You're earning some confidence. And then the first thing you do is you go play the University of Florida at Gainesville. That's back when Florida was ranked in the top five. And you go down there and you get swept, and really only one of those games was competitive. You come back home, you lose a midweek game to Rice. So now that winning streak has turned into a four-game losing streak. You get Georgia at your place, and Georgia's still kind of figuring out the pitching rotation, but you're able to win that series two games to one. They lose the Sunday game. 
Then they beat Texas in a midweek game 2-0. You think, okay, well, maybe they're going to get this thing going. They go to Mizzou. They win that first game 16-2. And then they drop the next two, 8-2 and 7-3. It's crazy. They come back – excuse me, they go on the road in midweek and lose to Sam Houston State down in Huntsville 8-6. to It's like they just can't get out of their way. I mean, these midweek games, like some people say, well, these midweek games don't mean anything. Well, tell that to A&M. Then uh, Alabama goes down to College Station and sweeps the series. 5-3-6-3-7-4. They then win at Texas State. They lose the first two to Arkansas. And then they come and win a softball game on Sunday, 11-10. The Saturday game was competitive, 2-1. But they get shelled on Friday night, 13-0. And listen, we've been to bomb. We know it's a tough place to go up there and play. They're built for that ballpark. They bounce back, and they, uh, they beat Texas Southern 9-4. And then they host Tennessee, lose that series two games to one. They get beat again on Friday night. They win the Saturday game. And then Sunday, they get beat 20-7. to They play Texas State again, which may be their, their best option these days for a win, is play Texas State. They beat them 4 nothing, And then they're going to come in here to play Mississippi State this weekend. So it has been quite the ride for Coach Childress and his crew down there at A&M. And, again, it's just inexcusable to me, and I can see why. You know, Ross Bjork's the AD there, and I'm sure there's some people out there that are in his ear saying, hey, listen, you know, this can't happen. We're Texas A&M. We expect to go out here and compete. And A&M has not really been a, a dominant program since they've been in the league. They've had a couple of good years here and there, but they have not been anything like most people expect them to be. A lot of people said, hey, that's the last thing we need. And the SEC West is another team out here on the same level as Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU, Arkansas. Well, it, it hadn't been that way. They've been an also-ran. And, I, and I, I fully expect them to make a coaching change at the end of the year. All right, so let's get into some of these numbers here. Look at some of the, uh, some of the statistics about this baseball team. It seems like some of these guys have been there forever, too. I mean, it's not especially a young team, but it's not an especially talented team either. That's the thing you look at and you think, you kind of scratch your head a little bit. How does this happen? How does a, t- a program like A&M get to the point that they're, uh, they're basically just hovering right above 500, and then with 18 league games in, they've lost 13 of them? It's crazy to think about. All right, so Will Frizzell, and it seems like Will has been there forever and a day. I know last time we went down there and played at College Station, uh, he was playing first base for them. Currently leads them with a 331 average. And that's the thing. It's kind of been the book on Childress the last few years, is unless they put together guys like Ace Lacey and, you know, put together some great pitching efforts, they don't win because they don't score. I remember a couple of years ago, Brandon Shoemake was like the only guy they had that was anywhere close to hitting around 300. He ended up being a first-round draft pick by the Atlanta Braves. He's the only guy. You got Ray Alejo hitting 321. I uh, got a couple dingers. You know, back to Frizzell, 13 home runs for him. That's among the leaders in the conference. So, but you I, you can really pitch around him. There's just not a lot of guys in that lineup that's gonna they're gonna hurt you. Uh, Austin Bose is the guy that's got eight dingers and 29 ribbies. He's hitting 321. And then that's the end of the list for guys that are hitting above 300. Now, listen, we're not setting the woods on fire offensively either. But uh, they're, they're a team in SEC play that have really struggled offensively. 
Logan Britt, 281, five dingers. And they've got home runs up and down the order. I mean, every, all of their regulars have hit home runs. But uh, it, it has, it's really been the power surge has been Frizzell and Boast. And then again, Logan Britt's got five there. So you've got a couple guys that uh, kind of consistently putting the ball in play. But it's just, you know, they're just not a team you look at and say, okay, you got to be really careful here. Or if you pitch around this guy, you got to face this guy here. They don't run the bases exceptionally well. Uh, you're looking at the numbers here, 11 of 13 for Ray Alejo and then 10 of 8 for Bryce Blom. Excuse me, 8 of 10. Excuse me, what am I thinking there? It's late. So they're 49 and 60 on the year in stolen bases. Not exceptional. So, And I suspect Logan Tanner will kind of keep them at first when they get there. I just don't think you're going to see them really light the base pass up this weekend. So you pitch around for Zell, make somebody else beat you, chances are they're not going to be able to. Looking at this team uh, defensively too, you know, they're decent. They're not great. 973 opponents, 966. You know, they're booting the ball around just a little bit. I think what's it, 43 errors on the year? Yeah, 43 errors on the year. So, I mean, they're not a team that defends exceptionally well. And so when they haven't had pitching, they've struggled to win ball games. And you can say, well, Steve, that's kind of how things work. Well, not always. There's some teams out there, if they get average pitching, they can beat you. That hadn't been the case for A&M. Unless they get a really good pitching opportunity, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna lose a ball game. So we mentioned some of these guys. Uh, Dustin Sands, your Friday night starter, is 5-5 five and five on the year. He has 10 starts, 10 appearances, 59 innings pitch. He's allowing right at a hit per inning. Has allowed 26 earned runs, struck out 77, and walked 18. So pretty good, you know, K-to-walk ratio there. He has had the propensity to give up the extra base hit, though. 10 doubles, 7 home runs, and opponents are hitting a cool, crisp 249 which is the worst of the uh, A&M starters. Nathan Detmer, we've talked about him a little bit. Nathan Detmer, I guess I believe that's your Sunday starter. Yeah, it is. Let me, let, me, let me get back to him. Let's talk about Bryce Miller here. Let me make sure I got my notes right here before we kind of move ahead with all this. Yeah, Bryce Miller is your Saturday guy. So let's look at some of his numbers here. Again, you know, not dominant numbers. Bryce Miller has had eight starts on the year with a 2-1 and one record, an ERA of 3.82. 37 innings pitch, allowed 28 hits, 16 runs, all of them earned. Struck out 53 and walked 20. So he's a little bit less than a 3-1 ratio there. Another guy, too, that, um, you know, giving up a little bit of the extra base hit, but the average against is actually really good. 206. But he's also hit 10 hitters. It's crazy to think about that. So Nathan Detmer is your Sunday guy for them. He has appeared in 13 games, started 10. He has a 3-1 and record with a 3.59 earned run average, 47.2 innings pitch, and has given up about a hit per inning. Has allowed 23 runs, 19 of them earned. He is a guy that will walk you. Just a, basically a 2-1 to strikeout-to-walk ratio of 44 Ks with 24 walks. Allowed seven doubles, four home runs, opponents hitting 236. So, you know, when Bryce Miller's another guy, too, it's hit a bunch of guys, too. It's like Bryce Miller and this Chandler uh, Josiak guy, both of them have hit 10 apiece, 47 as a staff. So there's nothing that you look at here that really jumps out at you and you say, you know what, uh, this could be a real problem for us. Now, 
Joe Zwiak is a guy, his strikeout-to-walk ratio is ridiculous, 68 Ks against eight walks. So if he comes in a ball game, he's not going to give you a whole lot, but he is a guy that gets hit a lot. You know, 44 innings pitch, he's given up 40 hits and 14 earned runs, three dingers, a triple, and a couple doubles. And he's also willing to hit you. He's also one in three on the year. So he's blowing some saves. He does have six saves. And so in the event that they uh, have a lead late, that's probably who we're going to see. Definitely a strikeout guy. But there's nothing that I look at on this A&M team and say, you know what, it just jumps off the page. And, you know, yeah, you got to be careful with Frizzell a little bit. But you go out here and put the ball in play, I think we're going to be okay. I mean, as a staff, you begin to look at these ERAs. Detmer, 3.59. Dustin Saints, 3.97. Bryce Miller, 3.82. So you're looking at them basically giving you four runs as starters. And as a staff, they allow 4.22 runs per ball game. Just not going to get it done. Now, they have played some non-conference games that have gotten a little bit lopsided that has allowed the opponent's ERA to creep up at 5.73. Remember, they put 22 runs up against one team. And so, as bad as it's been, they've kind of padded the stats a little bit in the non-conference. I'm trying to look and see here if they have any splits here about with the stats or we can break it down by SEC play. I don't believe they do. You would think that, uh, you know, a school like A&M would have uh, – you know, the most incredible stats you could ever have, but they but they don't. Just not how it works. I wish baseball was a bigger deal everywhere. You know what I'm saying? I, I really, really do. I really wish baseball was a bigger deal everywhere else because, like, you know, I go look at some of these websites, you know, even in our industry, and there's not even a preview of the series. You know, we played some teams here recently that um, – you know, we, we'll have, you know, three or four stories. I mean, sometimes Robbie Falk and Mike and I both, and sometimes David's around, and we'll have four or five stories after one win. And maybe we overdo it a little bit, but, you know, we're baseball schools. So we want to do what we can to give you guys as much information as you can. So we get as many interviews as we can, kind of share that with you guys. And then other schools won't even have a story up, but they'll run a media relations release. And I just don't understand that. I wish college baseball would really kind of catch hold. And it's like, oh, we're going to Omaha. And then you don't even go cover your team. I just don't understand it. I really don't. Um, I'm going to have um, some comments a little bit later on Friday as Rob Childress kind of previews the Mississippi State Series. We'll have those things up for you. Uh, so all-time, Texas A&M leads the series 19-17. we got a good chance to at least even that this weekend. Uh, I guess that's not really the case unless we get rained out. But uh, we got a chance to take a series lead there. It's one of the few SEC teams that holds a holds a, uh, a winning record over Mississippi State within the conference. So SEC Network on Sunday, everything else will be on the app. So be able to uh, log in and check that out. And so, and of course, you guys can always go to the healthstate.com website and you go to that schedule. And you can click those little earphones, and you can listen to Jim Ellis. So in the event you can't watch and you want to listen, you can listen to Jim. But there's no reason that we can't win this series, and there's no reason to think we can't sweep this thing if we play up to our potential. Now, we have also shown the propensity to give a game away every now and again, and my hope is that is behind us. I just don't think A&M offensively is enough to really scare you. I think it's just one of those teams that, you know, they have really having a difficult year. And I can't say they're playing out the string, but they're in real danger of missing Hoover. I think everybody sees that. And so they may come in desperate, 
They may come in ready to get this thing over. I don't know. I do know that Mississippi State's got a lot more to play for. I know that Mississippi State as a team will have the home field advantage, and as fans, we need to make sure that happens. But also, too, Mississippi State understands 12 SEC games left, and they all count. It's not just about winning the weekend. We need to get every win we can. As I told you guys on Wednesday, there are 12 games to play, and we're two games out of first in the SEC. And some people say, well, we'll never catch Vanderbilt. Well, have you seen Vanderbilt's schedule? Have you seen Arkansas' schedule? Yeah, we can catch them. We just got to take care of our business and hope we get some help around the league. I mean, let, let's say for an example that LSU takes the series against Arkansas and then we sweep A&M. Well, we've caught them in one weekend with three left to play. And so we'd have to continue to play well. So it's not so far-fetched to think that we're still in the hunt for this SEC championship. Now, of course, that would be great. The greater goal is to get the top eight national seed and get to Omaha. That's what we want. But let's not just, you know, f- you know forego the SEC thing. I-, I-, I remember, you know, when that was a big deal around here. It's still a big deal to all of us. That's why we have the big, uh, the big 11 out there on the center field wall, man, because we count the hardware. So let's not go ahead and concede that just yet. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, and I think our folks appreciate that. I think it's just Tanner Allen's team, and I think Tanner's going to have these guys ready to go. Tanner's a guy that's a grinder. Tanner's a guy that loves Mississippi State. And so he understands that uh, he's never ended his season anywhere but Omaha, Nebraska. He'll get one more crack at it and have a chance to go out there and potentially win a national championship. And so these guys know what it takes to earn a top eight national seed. They know what it takes to win a regional and then a super regional. They know what it means to host. They know what it means to get to Omaha. We've been to Omaha, and that's just not enough anymore. we got to go up there and win this thing. So this weekend is the next step in that process. You know, we got to have two. We need all three. And I, I don't think that, to be honest with you, I don't think a and is going to be able to beat us without our help. And, again, looking at these numbers, I mean, you, you look at it, there's just nothing that jumps out that scares you. They're hitting 263 as a team. You know, as a, as a team, they've hit uh, 51 home runs, and that's nothing to really sneeze at, right? A lot of those home runs have come at home against non-conference opponents. Their team is going to put the ball in place. We're going to have to play defense. You know, we've had – seems like we'll go four or five games, won't have any problems, and next thing you know, the, I mean, the circus comes to town, and we extend innings, and we walk people, and next thing you know, we, we put our pitchers in a bad situation. So hopefully we can get that taken care of. So that's your A&M preview. If I had to call it today, we win the series. I hope that we sweep. I'm not quite ready to call that. But I will say I like the matchups Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I like the fact that Bednar is going on Saturday. I like the fact that we're facing a freshman on, uh, on Sunday. And you say, well, Steve, we've got a freshman too. We do. We absolutely do. But I think our freshman's better than their freshman, and our freshman's pitching at home. And I don't know that their freshman's ever pitched in front of eight, nine, ten thousand people. And I know that he hadn't pitched in front of you guys. And I know that you guys are going to do your part. So we'll get ready to go. I can't wait to get there. And for those of you that are unsure about the schedule, I know it seems like that those those things pop up all the time. Uh, Steve, what time do we play? You know, Google's your friend, but so am I. I don't mind telling you. 
Let me save you a few keystrokes here. So the Friday night game, as you guys are well aware, you know, we like to play those uh, at night. <laughs> so that's going to be a 6.30 start. And then Saturday and Sunday, both 2 p.m. 2 p.m. And again, SEC Network Plus on Friday, Saturday, and then we'll be on the network itself on Sunday. Looking forward to seeing you guys out there. Today's top 10 list brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. Time, you know, listen, it's time to get moving on a sunglass deal, right? Today's payday for you anyway. Reward yourself with some great glasses put together by a company that's comprised of some Mississippi State folks. I'm a firm believer in doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. Matter of fact, I prefer it, even if I got to pay a little bit more. I'd rather be sure I know where that money's going because I don't want to fund anybody else's football factory, right? So Johnny Packer and the boys at johnnypacker.com, they've got some great sunglasses named after Mississippi towns. And I can tell you from personal experience, sunglasses are easy to wear. They don't pinch your nose. They ride your face good. They don't, they don't sit there and rub you to death. You can go out there and buy those cheap sunglasses if you want to, and you're going to regret it. You're probably glad you lose them. Make an investment in some good glasses, and you can do it at johnnypacker.com. And one of the best things about dealing with John and those guys is John's a guy that has dealt with cystic fibrosis all of his life, and so he is giving something back. So a portion of every purchase, not every other purchase, not every fifth purchase, every purchase, goes directly to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. And that's something I think we can all support. So go to johnnypacker.com today. Order yourself some sunglasses. You'll be glad you did. All right, so let's do top 10 lists. I've gotten several messages about this. And a lot of people say, Steve, when are you going to do this band? Where are you going to do that band? And sometimes I'll be honest with you, I think we've already done them. And uh, I'm wrong. And so Chris King, Chris reached out. And said, hey, Steve, why haven't we done a top 10 list on one of the greatest rock bands ever? My favorite band, Metallica. So, Chris, this is for you. We're going to do yours today. And you are not the only person. I have probably had about 20 people that have hit me up and said, hey, let's do Metallica. And then something comes up or I'll say, hey, we'll do it then. I want to share with you guys, too, the Phil Collins list we did. That was gangbusters, man. Roy informed me earlier today that it is now creeped into the top five. It's crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. Phil Collins, who knew? Who knew you guys were so excited about Phil? So I'm not sure where this Metallica list goes. I know it skews a little bit young for some of us. Listen, this is the coolest version of myself I've ever been. So I feel really young. And I feel I probably act probably younger than I should, but uh, be that as it may, I enjoy the rock, man. I do. When uh, when they you know when they carry me away in the hearse, man, I want I want a uh, I want a line of Harleys, man, leading the way to the cemetery, just so we can wake everybody up, play some cool tunes on the way. Give me one last ride, man. So. We're going to do Metallica, and I had a bunch of honorable mentions, and here's the thing that I'll tell you, too. I Listen, Metallica has such a loyal and rabid fan base. You start putting a list of songs together, you're going to make somebody mad. Because here's the thing about Metallica that's different than a lot of bands, is that every song has some special meaning to every fan. And so you go listen to 
you know, the Master of Puppets album or Kill 'Em All or Ride the Lightning. There's going to be some deeper cuts in there because Metallica didn't get a lot of airplay early on. And so you kind of felt like you were getting away with something. And so every song felt and sounded like a single. I had a good friend of mine named Jason Dossey. He's a uh, professor at Southern Miss now. But Jason was like the first Metallica fan that I knew. And you, you couldn't get Metallica at Walmart. You, know, you had to go to Camelot Music or you had to go to Sound Shop. I mean, it, was, it, was a, it was a big deal. And Jason was riding the, you know, the thrash metal wave long before it became mainstream. And so he had the Cliff of Mall videos and all that sort of stuff and knew all the history of the band. And I was fascinated by it because the fans are so incredibly loyal. They feel like they're part of something. And so when I put this list together, if I don't mention your song, don't, be, don't feel dissed. Okay, because I'll tell you, Metallica is incredible. They absolutely are. And they were, I'll be honest with you, I was a little late to the bandwagon. But the older I've got, the more I can appreciate what Metallica's done. And, and you go back on those earlier albums, and you know, you know the original lineup you know, with uh, Dave Mustaine and, and Cliff Burton. And, of course, Laurels and James. I mean, you know, that, that, that Kill Em All album was incredible. But the band really took off when Kirk Hammett became the guitar player. When Kirk came over from Exodus, things changed. When he replaced Dave Mustaine in the band, Metallica, to me, found their signature sound. And I also think, too, when they, when they hired Jason Newstead away from Flotsam and Jetsam, you know, that's when Metallica really took off. And that's, not, that's no disrespect to Cliff Burton. I actually think Cliff Burton's a better bass player. But... You know, Jason's a guy that was around kind of in the heyday as they begin to kind of have some real true commercial success. So here's the honorable mentions. Uh, I Disappear. That was off the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible 2 movie soundtrack. Harvester of Sorrow, Fade to Black. And so right now people are saying, Steve, you're wrong. Guys, I just can't put Fade to Black in the top ten. Nothing Else Matters. And I know some people have that for their wedding song, which is really weird to me. No Remorse off Kill 'Em All was my first favorite Metallica song. Battery. And right now, people are saying, Steve, how could Battery not be in the top 10? I mean, it's, it's my list. Blackened and then Creeping Death. Those are your honorable mentions. I could probably put Trapped Under Ice and Hit the Lights, too, honestly. We could talk all day about Metallica. We're not going to. Okay, so here's the top 10. Uh, you know, the, off the Death Magnetic album, I, which I love. I know a lot of people say, oh, Steve, it's not any good. Listen, it's not St. Anger. St. Anger was awful. And then the Lou project they did with Lou Reed, it was awful. It was awful. Awful. But they did it for themselves. They didn't do it for us. But The Day That Never Comes, I think, is an absolute masterpiece. I absolutely do. I think it's seven minutes. And that's when Metallica kind of got back to being Metallica. Number nine, going back to the S&M album and video, which I absolutely love. I think the, uh, the, the Call of Cthulhu is incredible. I love what they did with it, and it's one of my favorite songs. I know people are going to say, well, Steve, how would you pick us over battery? Well, I just dig it, man. I love the fact that you've got uh, you know, the orchestra playing behind them, but it's No Leaf Clover. And I actually like James's vocal on this. I know a lot of true Metallica fans don't like the fact they use some vocal effects there, but... Uh, I think it's dope. Number eight off the Black Album, it's Sad But True. That's the uh, Will Bednar walkout, too. We don't even know what that was until uh, Spencer Price turned him on. 
Number seven, The Unforgiven. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not as big a fan of The Unforgiven 2 and The Unforgiven 3 and all that stuff. I think, I think it got a little contrived. But the very first one, The Unforgiven, is legit. Number six, off my favorite Metallica album, it's Welcome Home Sanitarium. And this is when I think really things begin to take off from Metallica. The Master of Puppets album, I think they really took a jump as a band and kind of moved away from some of the punk influence. And that Kurt really refined the sound. And I think that this is when, in my opinion, the Metallica really became Metallica. That they've really found their signature sound was on this album. It is, to me, it's one of the most important albums of all time. But Welcome Home Sanitarium, I love, the, I love everything Kirk does on this. It is an absolute masterpiece. Number five, going back, it's Seek and Destroy. And I think everybody that's ever had a guitar learn to play this thing. It's one of those songs, too, that you, you can go to a sporting event and you can hear it. And, and back in the day when it came out, I think it was on Electra Records, uh, when it came, I remember it was Metal Force. Yeah, Metal Force. When it came out, you, you, you couldn't play it anywhere because people were scared of it. It's like they, they expected their CD player to burst into flames or something. And nowadays, you go anywhere and you can hear Seek and Destroy. You could hear it at Davis Wade Stadium sometimes. Number four, I would be remiss if I didn't put this one in here. I know there are some really hardcore Metallica fans that are really tired of the song, and they feel like it was a bit of a sellout. I think it's absolutely incredible. It's got this great riff to it, and you guys know it. Most Even the casual music fan knows it, but it's Inner Sandman off the Black Album. Number three, and we play this at Davis Wade Stadium as part of our entrance music now. It's for whom the bell tolls, and it's perfect for us. And a lot of people say, oh, I never knew what that song was. Yeah, it's for whom the bell tolls from Metallica. And if you didn't know that, what are you doing with your life? Go check it out today. Number two, and this was the one for their very first video. They said for years and years they would never do a video. They did a video, and they actually went out and purchased the rights to the old movie Johnny Got His Gun, and they used all of that. Um, as inspiration for basically a short film and it's for one and to me this is the one not just because there was a video to it but because it the story behind it is so incredibly graphic that uh, it put Metallica over the top I know a lot of people heard it and they're like you know this is this is unlike anything I've ever heard and so they got on the MTV airwaves and all of a sudden they see these guys out here just absolutely jamming their hearts out, and then they see old uh, Johnny got his gun up in the bed there, banging his head. It was it was so intense. But number one for me, and I think this is one of the best guitar solos of all time. But it's Master of Puppets. It's also one of the last songs that Cliff Burton helped write. You know, so it's kind of a transition from Metallica. But Master of Puppets, to me, is the Metallica song. And some people say, well, it's Inner Sandman, or it's One, or whatever, it's Sad But True, or, you know, it's Nothing Else Matters. I, I just disagree. I think Master of Puppets, I think that album and that song in particular, when I think of Metallica, I, I never get tired of the song. And uh, there was so many people that paid homage to Metallica over the years. And I remember when Flanghammer was, was rolling through Jackson, and Corey would get up there and... and, and kind of pay homage to Metallica and do the master, master, master. You know, it was, uh, he was a lot more convincing than me. 
but it was it was such a changing time in music because things were getting heavier and those bands from Oakland and San Francisco and the Bay Area kind of rejected the Hollywood sound and Metallica really kind of led the charge there and so a lot of what we hear today you know with Metallica bringing the harder edge to music they made it go more mainstream it used to be something that you know people played in clubs and it was kind of under underground which not anymore and you can give Metallica a lot of credit for it now a lot of people say well you know they've changed a lot in the last years and they have and it's one of those things that happens with uh, with musicians you know in the beginning everybody is so sick and they're on alcohol and drugs and they need therapy and they've got all these problems and then and then they begin to heal they get some money and they're able to go to therapy and if you've ever seen um, of some kind of monster that's the documentary when they were recording an album and and uh james is back and forth and they hire this therapist it's with the basic with the fifth member of the band it, it's really 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 kind of sad to watch all that unfold but uh james is queen and sober now so uh happy for him but i hope i did the list justice because i again i know there are so many people that love this band so intensely that their favorite songs may be songs that you know are, are deeper tracks than maybe perhaps that we listen to. And so, no disrespect to any of those folks, but that's my list. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at ScoutSteveR. And if you're not following me on Twitter, what are, you, what are you doing with your life? It's the greatest experience you'll ever have, right? It's among the most fun you can have without laughing follow me on twitter and sometimes i'm good for a few laughs too so go check it out top 10 lists roy will have the spotify list up a little bit later today you guys go check it out give you some friday rockage and plus too i just feel like that we kind of got to cleanse the palate just a little bit after the phil collins thing and i assume i listen too many of you were reaching out to me about some of those ballads we didn't include on the list and so this is me kind of throwing some gasoline on the fire So we're going back here with Metallica. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get... A three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. And that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, 
it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, everybody there will treat you like family because you are family. Go by and let them love on you and service you right there at Campus Bookmart. Many of you have told me, yeah, you know what, Steve, I never even went in there until you started advertising with those guys. It's been great. It's been a great relationship. Very, very happy with it. Uh, go by and meet them. You'll be glad you did. Listen, some of you guys have gone by and had your pictures taken with them, which is interesting. But, hey, you know what? I know Stan and those guys love it. They really do. If you can't make it to town to get your picture made, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Listen, we're about to make a good run here in baseball. Go ahead and upgrade the baseball wardrobe. Go ahead and start buying that gear for Omaha. I'm optimistic we're going to go. And when we win the regional and we win the super regional, you're going to be able to get those shirts right there at campusbookmart.net. So let's take a little time and look around the league, and I'll kind of talk about you know, your rooting interest this weekend uh, when it comes to college baseball. Man, I feel like I'm so tongue-tied tonight for some reason. So on uh, Thursday, we did have a couple of games, as you guys are aware. If you're like me, you kind of keep up with all that stuff. It's like – the SEC Network or Twitter or whatever, there's just always something to keep me informed of that stuff because it matters to me. You know, I don't follow the Kardashians. Maybe some of you guys do. And it's not that they're not attractive. I just, you know, I just don't have any interest in that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, kind of looking at um, this baseball schedule, you know, I pay attention to everybody in the conference because every game matters, especially this time of year. We're trying to get through this thing and hopefully win an SEC championship. 
And even if we can't, we feel like – I mean, if, even if we come up short of doing that, we've still got a great chance to be a top eight national seed and get back to Omaha. And that's what we want. That's what we're striving for all of the time. That's the expectation here at Mississippi State. As I shared with you guys on Wednesday, we're actually experiencing one of the greatest decades in school history when it's come to college baseball. And it's difficult to appreciate greatness in the moment, but we're getting it. So on Thursday, Georgia wins the game on an oppo taco grand slam. How crazy is that? It was a nothing-nothing ball game for five and a half innings, and then Georgia hits a grand slam in the sixth, and then that holds up, and they win 4 nothing. They limit Auburn to just two hits. Poor Auburn, 17-21 on the year, 3-16 and in the league. Georgia advances their record 27-14, 10-9 in the league. Georgia, again, projects as a pretty solid number two out there. They get a home run from Fernando Gonzalez tonight. He's the guy that hit the grand slam. That's basically the offense in the ballgame. Jack Owens saddled with the loss. And uh, really kind of a shame. Jack pitched pretty well, but um, gets taken down to one and three on the year. Kentucky jumped out to a pretty good start against Tennessee. Just couldn't get the deal done. I mean, it was just – I was watching that one pretty close there for a while, thinking, okay, let's go Nick. Be nice to uh, have Tennessee drop another spot. You were ahead of them in the RPI, but uh, would really like to see Nick take the series, not just for us, but also for Nick. But they get up uh, three nothing, and then in the bottom of two, Tennessee scores seven runs. It all falls apart there, and then Kentucky scratches back and gets a run in the third to kind of climb back in it to make it a seven-four ball game, and then Tennessee puts up five in the bottom of three. And they go on to win 14-4. It's just incredible how quickly that game turned. Kentucky now 25-14. and 14. Tennessee advances their record to 33-10. and 10. And uh, it's crazy, you know, uh, Stupp is a guy that actually pitched pretty well against us. You know, of course, we got to him. He goes one and a third and allows six hits, seven runs. A couple of them dingers. It's crazy. That's a sinker ball guy. Just wasn't his night. So let's look around the rest of the league, and, and uh, I suspect that you'll see you know, Tennessee and Georgia go on a window series. They, both of them are at home this weekend. We kind of expected that to happen. We would love for everybody to take a loss this weekend, except for Mississippi State. That's the hope. That's our goal every weekend. We want everybody to lose at least one game. If they could all lose every game, that'd be fine too. So Vanderbilt is at Florida. That is a huge series, and I'll be honest with you, this is going to hinge on a Saturday game. If Jack Leiter is really damaged, if Jack Leiter is in a pitching slump, Florida's going to win the series. I like Florida to win Sunday. I like Vanderbilt to win Friday. I think it all hinges on what happens Saturday. And to be honest with you, I think Leiter will bounce back. Now, it's a difficult time to go play at Florida. And there's also this whole mental aspect of it, too. You know, in Florida and Vanderbilt, a lot of people have said, you know, that these are the class of the East. And we had this series kind of circled early on thinking, you know what, Florida was probably going to be a top-10 team, as would Vanderbilt. Really, Florida's underachieved. Vandy might have actually overachieved a little bit. And you say, well, Steve, they've got, you know, two first-round draft picks on the mound. That's true, but offensively, they're pretty limited. They hadn't had to get windy shoot matches, but, uh, you know, Florida offensively is a team, I think, that can challenge a little bit. 
But I think this really hinges on the Saturday game, and I do think that Leiter will bounce back. I think Vanderbilt takes a series. We really need Florida to do it, to give us some uh, some breathing room there to kind of slide. Because if Florida takes a series and we sweep, we've caught Vanderbilt with nine to play. Arkansas is at LSU, and I don't know if you've kept up with LSU this week. LSU go into 100% attendance with no mask. So Boudreaux and Thibodeau will be there. They'll have on their Air Boudreaux, uh, you know, shrimping boots, and, and they'll be out there and then, you know, raising seven shades of Cajun hell just in time for Arkansas. I like LSU to take a game. I, I could see LSU winning the series. I don't think they will, but I think this may be the most entertaining series of the weekend. I think Florida Vandy may boil down to a pitching duel or two. I think this Arkansas LSU thing is going to be like a church league softball game all weekend. With the wind down there blowing out to left, the temperatures heating up a little bit, and those two offensive teams that can really swing it, especially with those right-hand dominant lineups, we might see a bunch of 10-8, 10-9 ball games. I do think LSU takes a game. I think they're capable of taking two. I, I, LSU starting pitching is better than Arkansas's. When Marceau is on, he's dominant. When Labus is on, he's dominant. Then they kind of figured out on Sunday. And they blew it last Sunday because they left Coleman in too long. They should have swept Ole Miss. But LSU is probably the only team in the conference that has a schedule as favorable as Mississippi State down the stretch. So when LSU gets hot, it's not necessarily going to be the fact that LSU has gotten hot. It's just the schedule is going to get a little bit easier for them. They're a very talented team. And you know as well as I do, Maneri's over there telling those guys, hey, listen, it's been a terrible season, but, you know, we really got a month left in this thing. And if we can win three of these last four series, we're going to play our way into a regional somewhere. Right now, Kendall Rogers and them have them as like one of the first five out. They win some series down the stretch, they're going to be in. And sure, and I know that's what Maneri's telling those guys and say, listen, all we get this what they better not screw up and let us get in the tournament. And so it's this us against the world mentality. And so look for LSU to come out and play hard this weekend. Gonna be huge crowds, a lot of pent up demand there. There's a lot of people at LSU who haven't been able to go to ball games because I think when we went down there, I think it was forty percent. It might have even been thirty-three. But what happens is you protect your wealthiest donors first, right? And so a lot of those people, all due respect, a lot of those people sit on their hands. And a lot of people that show up out there and are really responsible for the atmosphere are your students and then your general admission folks that may only come for the big games. And so all of those people are going to be able to be there this weekend just in time for Arkansas. I don't know that Arkansas is quite ready for that, to be honest with you. And listen, they came and played at Dirty Noble Field, and we had a good weekend. We had a good crowd. We didn't play good baseball. But LSU, after taking two or three from Ole Miss, you know as well as I do, they're going to feel like, you know what, this is a statement weekend for us. They will give Arkansas their absolute best shot. And that's, listen, Dave Van Horn will have his guys ready to go too. They're not going to overlook LSU. But if I wasn't in Starkville, Mississippi this weekend, that's where I'd want to be. All right, let's look at the rest of the schedule here. Missouri's at Alabama. I like Alabama here. Missouri is so bad. And Alabama has been kind of up and down, and, again, it's, they've kind of ridden the wave of beating those teams of mediocrity. You know, and they went down there and had that loud series sweep against A&M 
which really showed how bad A&M was. This is not a great Alabama team, but they're beginning to show some flashes. We've already talked a little bit about Auburn and Georgia. I do think Georgia takes that series probably a sweep. If, if, if Auburn doesn't win tomorrow, they'll sweep. South Carolina's at Ole Miss. This is big for a few reasons. Number one, we never want Ole Miss to win. But number two, we play South Carolina next weekend. And so, we really, we just need a split here. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I'd like to see South Carolina win the series. And there's a couple reasons why. Number one, I don't ever want Ole Miss to have a good weekend. And that would be five series losses in a row, which really, I think, they're already on the cusp of being out of the hosting discussion. You lose five in a row, it's going to be difficult to bounce back in a weekend. And so I think as a result, we would get a better super regional pairing. Just my personal opinion. And then also, too, I think with South Carolina winning that series, they will get our full attention next week. You know, let's say if South Carolina goes up there and has a tough weekend, you know, they're going to be – I think they'll look to refocus when they get home. And so it's just a mental aspect of the game. I think we're better than South Carolina. I think South Carolina and Ole Miss are comparable. And I know that Ole Miss is happy to have Gunnar Hogland back. And, you know, listen, he, he is a dominant pitcher. But how long does he go? Does he throw 110, 115 pitches again? I mean, I think you're probably a little more careful with him. And so your, your bullpen's still going to be an issue. One of the, the biggest college baseball insiders that I know that I trust told me at the beginning of the year, he said Mississippi State is going to win a lot of games because of their bullpen. Ole Miss is going to lose a lot of games because of their bullpen. And so when you got a South Carolina team coming in here that um, you know may see a Gunnar Hogland that's less than 100% or probably on a bit of a pitch count, then you're probably going to see that bullpen two to three times. I don't know that South Carolina takes a series, but I hope they do. I hope they do. I think this Ole Miss team, though, I think Sundays, you know, people say, well, you know, they, they feel good if they beat LSU on Sunday. At the end of the day, you still lost four series in a row. That Friday night deal will be an absolute dogfight, though. It absolutely will. Uh, and so that's, that's the league schedule. And so, you know, your rooting interest in all of this, I mean, as you think, you know, advantageously, we don't play Tennessee this week, this year. So Kentucky beating Tennessee helps us in the RPI. Not to mention Tennessee is kind of right there around us in that national seed discussion. So we'd like to see them pick up a couple losses, kind of give us a little breathing room. Vanderbilt, of course, is at Florida. Florida is kind of right there with us. But, uh, you know, we're chasing Vanderbilt, and I think Florida also has a more difficult schedule down the stretch. And so we're okay with Florida winning that series. And, of course, we're rooting for LSU to beat Arkansas. I mean, let's say if Florida and LSU win the series and we sweep A&M, all of a sudden you've got a three-way tie for first place in the SEC with nine to play. Missouri and Alabama is really kind of a mocks-nicks deal because we're going to play them both anyway. Uh, we don't play Georgia, so we'd like to see Auburn pick up a win to help us in the RPI. South Carolina at Ole Miss, I told you I'm rooting for South Carolina in that deal. So that's your rooting interest and uh, should be another great weekend of baseball. I'm ready to get this thing started. I'm ready to get out to Duty Noble Field. It feels like it's been forever. I've already booked my room for South Carolina. I'm ready to go. I've never covered college baseball up there. I'm eager to get up there. But I'm so excited to be home this week. And I've enjoyed, listen, as much as I love midweek baseball, I was kind of glad to get a night off. It's been good the last couple days to kind of have a chance to kind of relax a little bit. And as much as I love being on the road, it's good to be home sometimes. But this home stretch is going to be really busy for all of us. And we want it to be because there's nothing better than playing meaningful baseball in the month of May 
jockeying for position, competing for championships, you know, where every pitch, every inning, every game absolutely matters. And we're doing some scoreboard watching around the conference because it's not just as simple as, okay, we're just trying to get to Hoover, maybe get in a regional somewhere. No, we're trying to position ourselves to go compete and win a national championship. That's the best part of all of this. It's as simple as that. All right, Portico, we're speaking of baseball. Our good friend Brooks Bryan, you know Brooks, former Diamond Dog, Brooks Bryan, robbed a home run to beat Washington to send us to Omaha. And so maybe it's time you paid Brooks back for that. Maybe you never told Brooks thank you for that. So I'm going to encourage you to do that when you call him. Brooks, one of the developers with Portico, one of the great new residential developments here in Starkville, it's right off of Garrett Road, which is basically the first right off of 12 when you turn off of 82. So let's say you're coming in from Columbus and you're, you're coming in on the campus side of town. So you make that turn. It's the very first right. That's your new home. 1.1 miles away from the greatest place in the world, right? Dirty Noble Field, Davis Wade Stadium. Great opportunities Great opportunities for you to make your move to Starkville. Many of you have said, you know what, Steve, I've always wanted to be there. I'm excited to be there. We'd love to have a place there, even if it's not full-time. Maybe it's just one of those deals where, you know, we buy an investment property, maybe we Airbnb it, and then until we're ready to go use it. But no matter what your needs are, they can be met by calling Brooks Bryan. Portico has that great walking trail. Got two-bedroom, two-bath houses, four-bedroom, four-baths. And no matter how big your family is, they've got a property that, uh, that can accommodate you. Brooks, a great friend, not only to me, but to you, but also to Brooks is one of these guys, too, that he wants to see Starkville thrive. That's why he's involved in this project. And it goes back to that whole thing about doing business with Bulldogs whenever we can. I'm a big proponent of that. And Brooks is true maroon. Give Brooks a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, I wrote about this on Thursday, and I thought we'd expand upon it a little bit more. As you guys know now, the one-time transfer rule has been passed. The D1 Council recommended that it be passed. Now the Board of Governors has passed it. It's been voted on by a membership. It's done. So starting this year, you can transfer and not have to sit out a year unless there is a conference rule that prohibits it, which there is in the SEC. Now, I think the Pac-12 and maybe the Big 12 have already decided that they're going to waive their in-conference rule about interconference transfers. I don't know what the SEC is going to do. I know some people are saying, you know what? If that's the case, then when guys transfer out of SEC schools, then they're going to be you know, more inclined to go to the Big 12 or the ACC because they can play immediately. So if you're deciding, okay, well, I'm leaving Georgia, and I, okay, the two schools that have occurred to me are Auburn or Clemson. Well, I can go play at Clemson next year, but I can't play at Auburn for a year. Well, I know where I'm going. I'm going to Clemson. So it kind of puts a rec- recruiting encumbrance in front of you if you're recruiting SEC players. Now, Mississippi State didn't do that this year. In our transfers, we got Randy Charlton from Central Florida. We got Makai Polk from Cal. We got Jalen Green from Texas. 
And, of course, Jack Abraham, those guys are coming too. But some of those guys are grad transfers. But there was the belief and the chatter that, okay, here's the deal. Everybody that enrolled for spring, even if the legislation didn't pass, they were going to give them a waiver. Well, now it's no longer necessary. Now, it's not going to be as simple as, okay, well, I'm just going to go in the portal in the middle of fall camp, and then I'll go somewhere else. No, you've got to let your school know by July 1st. That's one of the sticking points. By July 1st, you've got to have all this stuff handled. By July 1st, and there's no reason this should go beyond that, right? Because the teams should know what their roster is going to look like when they get into fall camp. And so July 1st means that everybody has maybe has gone through spring practice, kind of see where they are on the depth chart. Maybe they've even gone through the first session of summer school. But by July 1st, at the very least, you have to notify your school your intention to transfer. So you don't get into fall camp and all of a sudden somebody gets their feelings hurt and I'm going to go on a transfer portal and then I'm going to go play this year. No, that's not going to work. So there are some parameters in place. And so Mississippi State's three guys, as expected, are now eligible to play this year. And we need all three of them to play. Now, they were all running second team in spring practice, and that's kind of by design. I mean, you don't want to have some newcomer show up and you give them a first-team designation. You're going to have to get through spring practice and you earn it in fall camp. I do expect all those guys to play a lot. I think Jalen Green's probably the most likely starter. And Makai Polk will be a rotation guy. Randy Charlton, though, I, I could see him, especially with our needs on the defensive line, I could see him being a guy that could potentially be a starter. I think he'll start some ball games this year, and he's a guy that can play inside or outside. I like him kind of as a five technique, but you know he is an explosive guy, to say the least. And so, while it wasn't a huge concern, there is no longer any concern. It's one of those deals you look at and say, okay, we took kind of took a calculated risk here to improve our football team, and it's paid off for us. When we expected this one-time transfer thing to pass, but now it's official. So we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about what the language is going to look like. We don't have to worry about anybody stepping in. None of that. It's all done. Now, the next big issue before the NCAA is this name, image, and likeness deal. Now, you're well aware now that Governor Tate Reeves has kind of already signed some state legislation for name, image, and likeness here in the state of Mississippi. That law is supposed to go into effect July 1st. So the NCAA is on the clock. Probably should have put this thing to bed a long time ago. Once the feds get involved, all of a sudden you get this federal oversight. You kind of lose control of the party, right? Just kind of how it works. So that's the next big thing. And we've talked about it on the show at length before. I'm not going to belabor the point today. But we've had some situations where all of a sudden the name, image, and likeness stuff could be part of the recruiting package. Now, it's not supposed to be. But it may be something that's a scenario as simple as this. You know, let's say that Mississippi State's recruiting a quarterback and say, listen, you know, here's the deal, that uh, if you come here, you know, we've got a friend that kind of works in, uh, in, listen, this name, image, and likeness representation. And uh, why don't you give that guy a call? Well, of course, you know, we could have already primed the pump a little bit and say, hey, listen, John Smith, we're going to have this kid call you today, and we think he's really marketable, and we want him to come here. We think he's got a chance to be a star. Well, then all of a sudden, the marketing guy, when he gets on the phone with the kid, is like, hey, listen, I'm, you know, I've talked to so-and-so and so-and-so, and this is your value. We think we can get you this. If you come to Mississippi State, it's going to be the same in baseball. It's going to be the same in basketball. 
And so that's going to happen all over the country. And so that's kind of what they have to figure out now is how do you police that sort of thing? And how do you prevent poaching? You know, let's say for an example, let's look at Mike Leach's old stomping grounds at Washington State there. You know, that they basically have a pizza joint up there. They don't have a lot of you know, marketable industry in Pullman, Washington. They have the lowest athletic budget in the Power Five. And so they're already losing the best players in the state of Washington to UW because, let's be honest, a lot of those kids want to go to Seattle. I want to go to Seattle. And so a lot of the kids that go to Washington State are kids that maybe don't have the opportunity to go to Washington or perhaps they just feel like that the big city's too much for them. And so it's not a level playing field. You want to see a greater disparity, watch what happens if name, image, and likeness goes through and it's, it's largely unregulated. What's Washington State going to be able to offer these kids as far as marketing opportunities? You know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've done the math. I believe Washington State might actually be closer to Boise, Idaho than it is to Seattle. And so what do you offer those guys? It's okay, well, listen, guys, we got the, um, you know, we got the pizza shack up here. And uh, they're willing to give you, let you guys do some advertising for them. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's a $1,500 a deal type operation. Or you can go to Seattle and uh, maybe they got Starbucks. You know, maybe you become a regional model for Starbucks. It's a much more lucrative deal. And Seattle is one of the largest cities in America. So there's not going to be any shortage of Washington Husky alums. They'd say, hey, listen, we'd love to have this player represent our brand. And so now all of a sudden, and you go back and look at, let's even talk about some of the old Miss stuff that happened, uh, you know, with the pay for play. Well, now all of a sudden you're going to legitimize a lot of that stuff. So now instead of uh, somebody having to go through a bag man or whatever or a special uncle or whatever or a position coach at the high school, you know, now it's like, hey, listen, we can just, you know, listen, we've got, uh, you know, an old misrun business here. They're willing to sponsor this, and you're going to be the spokesperson for, you know, the whatever insurance agency in your hometown. And those people are going to cut you a check every month for, you know, $1,500 or $2,500 or whatever. You can see how that could get out of control. And it's going to be that way all over the country. And so... What makes it so easy now is you've opened up the one-time transfer rule, and so then if the name, image, and likeness stuff is not handled correctly, you could have some major poaching off rosters. And you say, well, everybody's got to sign the declaration, right? Like the, the player and the coach that he's transferring to, everybody's got to sign a document that says that there was no tampering. Well, you know, that's the thing about rules is they don't apply to, to the law abiding. They apply to, you know, the, the cheaters. But the problem is the cheaters always find a workaround. You know, let's be honest. Let, let's say that there's, uh, you, know, John, you know, Johnny Q quarterback down at Miami. Well, you mean to tell me that I can't get close to somebody you know, these bag men people are already getting close to them now. So now all of a sudden it's like, hey, listen, I'm going to talk to, you know, an English teacher from his high school that was perhaps a mentor and say, hey, listen, 
I don't need you calling or texting the kid. You're going to have to speak to him, you know, through a third party, or you're going to have to speak to him in person. But we want him to come to our school. And if he does, let's say he leaves, you know, Florida Atlantic to come to the U, we can come up with $25,000 a year worth of endorsements for this kid. Well, then all of a sudden the kid's going to say, well, hey, well, I'll just go ahead and go on a transfer portal and I'll enroll there next semester. And I'll just start rolling in the dough. That's a real concern because it could be a Pandora's box. I mean, college athletics is changing. And when you begin to look at the flip side of this thing too, now recruiting is very much a 365-day deal. You're going to have to hire more people. You're going to have to hire people that kind of police all this stuff on your staff. You're going to have to hire people to kind of protect your roster because you're going to be recruiting your players every day. You got to stay, you got to stay, you got to stay. And what happens now when, you know, if you have a guy that goes out and has a bad game, do you, and you, you just go step in him and say, listen, hey, this can't happen. Well, that's okay. I'll just go in a transfer portal. Then all of a sudden I go in a transfer portal and I got four or five other SEC schools that are recruiting me, and all of a sudden it becomes a bidding war where the payoff is legal. So you could see how detrimental that would be to a school like Mississippi State. It probably helps us in baseball, but it hurts us in basketball and football. It really does. There's a couple of options out there. You know, you could do name, image, and likeness stuff where basically everybody signs the same agreement and everybody gets the same slice of the pie. You can say, well, you know what, Steve, I believe really more in capitalism. I think, you know what, if you know, Dak Prescott was our, our quarterback here and, and his number was sold, then he deserves to share in the royalties. And you know what, I don't disagree with that. But what if Mississippi State decided, you know what, we're going to retire the number 15 in all sports because we had Jake Mangum, we had Dak Prescott, we had Tara McGowan, we had Brian Hazelwood, we had Timmy Bowers. And so we can say, you know what, we're going to retire this number and nobody's going to wear it in any sport, and that's the only jersey we're going to license. And then nobody gets any royalties on that. And so it's like, well, yeah, I can do my name, image, and likeness, but if they're not making my jersey available, well, how do I make any money doing that? Okay, interesting, right? So... On top of that, too, you begin to look at, you know, what happens to your deep snapper? Let's say that Dak Prescott's roommate was the deep snapper. And then this kid is living on his uh, stipend month to month. And listen, it's a lot better than it used to be. Okay, it is. And all of a sudden, you know, Dak's raking in, you know, three or $4,000 a month during football season during to football jersey sales. Dak's taking his girl out to, you know, the, the finest restaurants in town. They're going down to Biloxi. They're going and staying at the Hard Rock, and they're taking all these big trips and spring break. They're, they're staying in a condo, and then, you know, you're, you're living hand to mouth. What do you think it's going to do to locker room? I'm not working any, you know, less than he is. And so there could be dissension in the ranks over this. And so there is still a lot to figure out with all of this. And I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate, too. I mean, they're not going to be able to wear Mississippi State stuff. You know, they're not going to be able to say, hey, I'm Steve Robertson, quarterback for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They're not going to be able to reference Mississippi State. They're not going to be able to wear the Mississippi State insignia. They can wear a maroon shirt, just can't have an M over S on it. 
And so it's truly their name, image, and likeness rather than Mississippi State's branding that they're going to be able to trade on. So if you have a guy like Jake Mangum, I mean, Jake Mangum obviously would, would be a guy that would be very marketable when he was in school here at Mississippi State. Victoria Vivians was very marketable. Blair Schaefer, Tierra McCowan, Morgan William, very marketable. Everybody would have wanted to buy those jerseys, right? Everybody would have wanted to have those ladies represent them. There have been all kind of advertising opportunities for them. And so there are going to be some people that really benefit from this while others don't. And there are a lot of people that say, well, man, as soon as that name, image, and likeness stuff. And like I saw Deion Sanders uh, and a little thing they had, a thing I can't, I guess JSU put it out there, but somebody had loaned them some trucks. And they were like, okay, well, listen, once this name, image, and likeness stuff passes, you guys are going to be able to do this and you're going to be able to do that. With all due respect to Jackson State, is there really anybody at Jackson State at this point that has a marketable brand outside of Deion Sanders? And the answer to that question is no. And so if you are a Jackson area business, you have the opportunity to, uh, to I don't know, maybe hire John Rice Plumley from Ole Miss. Or go get, you know, Will Rogers from Brandon, you know, people that are more recognizable. Or you just go get a kid at Jackson State. I mean, you got to do what's best for your business. Now, will there be some opportunities? Yes, but they won't be equitable. Then when you begin to look at the Title IX aspect of all this, too, so all of a sudden, because that, that lawsuit is coming. Let me go ahead and prepare you for that right now. That lawsuit is coming. Well, this name, image, and likeness stuff, you might as well get ready. You, you, you've heard, if you keep up with soccer at all, you've seen Megan Rapinoe that has gone out and talked extensively, you know, about how the women, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team is among the greatest in the history of the sport. Very, very dominant. They win a lot of games. And they're, they're better than the men when it comes to, like, national rankings and international play. I mean, they, they just are. But the salaries are not the same. Now, you could suggest, too, and, it, and I actually agree with this. It's like if I, if I go run a business and my business is more successful than yours, then I shouldn't have to apologize for making more money. And so my employees are going to be paid more lucratively than yours because there is more money to share, right? That's what a capitalist society is built on. But there is this lawsuit and these complaints, to, again, with the women about U.S. soccer. It's like, you know, we've accomplished more. And the difference is just, they just don't generate the same amount of revenue. So that trickles down, too, to the Title IX. And so all of a sudden, you've, let's say for an example that you have a full scholarship athlete play a men's basketball or football that already is going to graduate without any student loan debt. And then now they're going to be able to make more money on top of that. And then you've got a partial scholarship sport like, say, softball or soccer that is predominantly played by women. And all of a sudden, they're not able to share in those same resources. You can say, well, you know, nobody wants to buy their jersey. Well, that's true. But I'm just telling you that lawsuit is coming because you're not going to be able to continue to have this unequitable scholarship balance. There is an equity in the scholarship situation. That's got to be remedied. So there are some very difficult decisions to make, and they got to happen very, very quickly.
they're probably going to have to do something with this NCAA transfer portal thing too. I mean, it's like there's just so much right now. College athletics is changing, and I, and I suspect in five years it'll be unrecognizable. What we know now will be completely different. But we'll talk about it as we get there. Listen, thank you guys so much for your support. If you hadn't done so, go to alphadogsthebook.com. You can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and many of you have been, uh, you know, thanks to some, uh, some lovely ladies that wore their Stark Villains gear behind home plate. Thanks to the camps for that. And uh, you can get that at StarkVillains.com. I, I think the black and white's the coolest. You can get it in maroon and white, but I think the black and white's the coolest. I like wearing black anyway. So go check it out. And then uh, Blooms of Oleander, for those of you that keep up with that, that's my new book. It'll be out June 7th. June 7th. It'll be here before you know it. Just about five weeks, we'll have a uh, release party there at Book Martin Cafe downtown in Starkville. It'll be available at Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and great bookstores all throughout the state of Mississippi. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.